Hello, and welcome to the Natural Dye Podcast, a place to hear the voices of individuals using color from nature. My name is Kelsey, and I'll be your host today. On this episode of the Natural Dye Podcast, we'll be talking to Rin, who is a creator behind Modus Operandi Fibers. Rin is a former epidemiologist that has joined their analytical skills with creativity to create truly stunning naturally dyed yarns and fibers. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Natural Dye Podcast. My name is Rin, and I am the um, owner of Modus Operandi Fibers. Um, so I got started with it back in 2019. Um, I actually was um, and am um, an epidemiologist. So trained uh, initially in public health to do um, uh, epidemiology and um, specifically was working at the state level for a while and doing a lot of things at that level, um, at that in, in that position and things like that. But I um, uh, leadership changed and I was very unhappy. And so um, I realized that one of the things I did really love about my job more than anything was creating, like just all the time. I And, and it, it sounds kind of strange to be in a, um, a position that's so like analytical um, and like kind of combining that with creativity. But, but one of the things I loved most was coding. Um, so I did a lot of programming, a lot of um, really big data, um, like cleaning and analysis. And my favorite part was like taking this like data sets of like millions of records and like turning it into something that was useful. Um, and, and maybe not just useful, but also pretty and, um, something that like people could look at and be like, oh, okay. I see like what we can do from that. Something that's actionable. Um, but also making it visually appealing because we're humans and, and we like to be able to see information in ways that, um, is approachable and, um, pretty. (laughs) Um, and so, um, I, I kind of decided and after, um, you know, a lot of reflection and a lot of um, uh, preparation that it was time to leave that that position and try something new. And I honestly didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I, uh, I, I had been, I've been knitting for um, over 10 years. One of my um, best friends in um, in college, who is still one of my closest friends, um, actually taught me how to knit. Um, and um, she she's actually also the person who uh, originally got me into gardening. And so like I got into natural dyeing in, in these two ways, which was um, knitting and gardening. Um, and so these are both things that I've been doing for like over 10 years. I've worked on a couple of organic farms and um, kind of in between before I joined the professional world. Um, and um, my friend Robin um, got me into both knitting and gardening. Um, so thanks Robin, um, many, many years ago. Um, but um, when I was kind of struggling with, with this job and, and what to do next and um, you know just my mental health and, and all of that, I think um, I got back into knitting and and gardening and I had never followed a pattern before. So the first pattern I ever followed was, um, yeah, in like January of 2019, cause I'd always just done free form knitting. <laughs> um, 
and got tried to get back into gardening and um, had joined Instagram and started seeing just like had seen so much inspiration from lots of knitters and um, a lot of um, uh, uh, dyers as well and was just really inspired by it and um, I just felt like creating was where I needed to be and so um, I made the decision to try to start a, a business <laughs> when I quit and I don't know you know I had no qualifications for that I'd never done anything like it before um, but I was excited about it and I wanted to give it a try um, I really wanted to just um, give myself that opportunity because I'd been um, working towards these goals and in, in the professional world for so long and um, I didn't feel like I was actually getting anywhere um mentally or emotionally, I, I felt very um, lost and unhappy. And so I was like, well, let's try something different and see if um, I can find a place in a different kind of way of, of living and working um, and feel very fortunate that I was able to give it a try. And so um, I, uh, I had started practicing natural dyeing um, a, a few months after I got back into knitting um, and just learned, I, I just learned about it just to try to do more creative things, to have another creative outlet. And, and that's kind of where I kind of merged the two of like, okay, well, let's make naturally dyed yarn. I see um, a lot of um, indie dyers out there and, um, you know, I think it'd be cool. Like I see some gaps kind of in, in where I might be able to fit in with a product um, that might be a little different, but um, uh, you know, still something that people would enjoy working with. And so let's give it a try. So I started Mo Fibers um, and uh, that started off, I started in I think I went live in August of, of 2019. So the name actually comes from my, my middle name and my last name. The initials are M-O. Um, and when I joined Instagram, I, I didn't want to go by my like my full name. And so um, I, I went by uh, Rin Modus Operandi. And then so like the M-O kind of stood in for, for that. Um, just the initials, I guess. And then when I started my business, I was like, oh, okay, I like it. And it's like, I, I think part of, part of, I, so I just continued on with that name that I had, but also I think um, the, the way that I approach things as a scientist and kind of as more like a very analytical person and kind of that kind of um, pairs with my creativity, I guess. Um, is I, I do kind of have like a very methodical way of doing things and a, and a really um, a process that that like helps to boost my creativity. And I think that that's also kind of where, I mean, like if, if somebody has an MO, you know, that's like their way of doing things. And so I think I kind of liked that that fit in with like my MO is kind of, um, uh, yeah, I, I think I liked the the pairing of the the science and the method with the the creativity and the play. So I originally learned to use natural dyes mostly from books. When I first got started, um, I tried to find some things online, but I wasn't um, I wasn't really getting what I I wanted. Again, I'm kind of this like I I, I like to have processes and um, 
and clear ways of doing things. And I think I struggled a little bit to find some of that, um, like really talking about, okay, what really is a mordant and how does it work? And how can you really make sure that something is done properly um, so that you're, you end up with a light fast and color fast item and what things are um, more light fast and color fast than others and um, how do the different things work together. And I found that the best thing for me were, were books um, and specifically the art and science of natural dyes. That's the thing that really just worked. It just clicked with my brain. And I think everybody finds different things that work for them. Like I, there are a lot of other really wonderful resources out there um, and, and kind of ways of approaching natural dyeing um, and they work better for other people. And, and for some that, that is blogs or, um, you know, other, other kind of how to's. And, and for me, it was definitely that, that book really helped me um, kickstart. And then from there, I just started experimenting. I, I love to just play with the different, um, uh, different quantities, different temperatures, different, um, all sorts of things. And I learned a lot. I mean, I, I initially at the beginning, I made so many mistakes, um, a, a lot around like, um, uh, not just around how I was naturally dying or, um, or my process, but also like equipment, um, and like things like getting yarn, like getting yarn tangled, like I needed better things to hold them together. And so like needing to play around with, oh, you know, everybody says that, or a lot of, you know, indie dyers use these like shower curtain rods. Those just melted when I actually got to the right temperature or, or they would just break. And so they would have like a one-time use. And so that wasn't going to work. And so kind of troubleshooting, like what are the best materials, um, so that I can make sure I don't do that. I, I don't, I, I'm be able to reuse the same materials. Um, what's the best, like, um, you know, stovetop unit that I should use and pot size. And so it, it wasn't just about the natural dyeing. It was also about kind of the things that went into it that I, I, I learned a lot about and had to kind of um, play around with more um, to, to get the product I wanted. And then also to like make it, fun for me and easy, easier for me because it is such a labor intensive process. Um, and then for, for like color and things like that, um, I mean, it was really interesting. I think at, at the get-go, I sort of, I wanted these deep saturated colors. And so, um, I, I wanted to play around with different, different bases and different natural dyes that could create that. And, um, but one of the things I was finding is, well, one, that that's a lot of money and it's a lot of, if you're, if you're really trying to get those, um, if you're, if you're using high concentrations of natural dyes, um, then you end up with a lot of leftover in the pot, um, and things like that. And so also one of the things I had a lot of fun with and really wanted to, to get better at before both I went live with my my business but then also have continued continually learned about and continue to learn how to do better um is how to limit those the 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 quantities so that you're using kind of the minimum amount possible to get these darker colors um and so that was a lot of fun to try to figure out cuz i think yeah. at the beginning i there was one colorway that i wanted to do that that used like 30% weight of fiber for matter root and one it's just too too much um uh color left over in the pot you need to like find lots of ways to reuse it um 
to it, um, it matter gets very grainy and I didn't want to heat up the heat, heat up the water, strain out the matter root, put in the yarn. Like that's not, it's just not an efficient process. Um, and so it would just take so much rinsing and it, it just wasn't working. So I was like, okay, how can I do this better? And then I found another recipe that worked for me that was much less um, so, uh, so most of my recipes use no more than 10% of any, um, dye stuff, even like the darker colors and things like that. And just like that took some practice, um, and some kind of playing with, with different, um, things and making sure I have enough mordant, but not too much because then the yarn feels sticky. And so like, I mean, it's just, there, there were so many things I learned and, um, have continued to kind of build into, um, the, how, how I create my process and then what kind of high quality final product gets to, to people. I, I think I really love both sides of natural, the natural dyeing process. I love, um, approaching it from a more data driven, um, uh, hypothesis generating experimentational perspective. And, and and having that repeatable process and I love the creative play and just like see what happens um kind of thing so I I try to build both into maybe not every week but like every month and into the day-to-day -day. and I I love both sides of it and I think both are really um valuable and really fun um and so but but I definitely do have um a really when it comes to how I approach, um, especially the yarn that I sell for, um, for the business side, um, that is very, um, uh, I, I have very kind of clear processes and, um, procedures and recipes in place. And, um, the way I approached it at the beginning was just experimenting kind of like what I was saying before about, oh, okay, well, this doesn't work both in terms of how much resources it uses and in terms of the time and, and all of that. And so, um, but I still want to try to achieve this other color. So like experimenting to get a certain range of color. And then once I have it, um, you know, playing with that, with that side of things, um, I, I, I then have that process kind of set in stone. Like I know exactly how much mordant to use. I know exactly what temperature to, it should get to. And with my, um, with my hot plates, I know exactly what level to put it at and for how long and setting timers, um, how long to let it cool for so that it doesn't felt, um, uh, and then I keep track of, um, you know, percent weight of fiber, um, for, for the actual colorways themselves. And then again, that temperature is really important because 160 degrees to 170 degrees, you may end up with a slightly different color than if you, if you push it to 200 degrees. Um, and so there is a, sometimes it doesn't matter. It depends on, on the dye, but, um, uh, sometimes that does matter. And so, um, just keeping an eye on that, keeping track of things like that, um, and um, it's true that, you know, I think um, part of the part of the reason I I did it that way is because that's how my brain works. But I also saw that there weren't a lot of natural dyers doing that. And so I thought it would be fun to try and then also would would offer something different. 
which is like, hey, I can go and I can see this colorway online and it'll be pretty similar. Um, uh, you know, every dye lot is different and yet, you know, I get my, my dye materials from the same, the same pro like provider all the time, but, um, you know, different, um, different batches can be slightly different. That's also true of acid dyes and lots of other things. That's not, it's, it's not, um, very much different from that. Um, but I find you know, I've been doing this two years now and have been able to get the same colors consistently. Um, and, and yes, different lots are a little different, or if I don't leave it in for long enough or mess up the temperature, I might end up with something that's a little bit different and I need to be careful of that. But, but for the most part, um, it's, it's been fine. Um, and I really love it. And it's very, um, for me, those days where I'm doing those repeating tasks and I know exactly what, um, what my recipes are, like I have them memorized at this point, but I do have them written down. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I think they're, they're very calming for me. I, I really like the, um, I, I like knowing what I'm doing is the same. And it's, it, it, I, I mean, we sort of talked about this, but it's, it's sort of meditative. It's, um, it's a way to kind of tune out and just be really present and be really like physically present with like my dye pots. And, um, and, and I know that that sounds kind of strange because I think we think about that more when we think about like just free creating. Um, and I feel that way when I, when I do that too, I feel that way when I play, I love playing um, with color and different mornings and different different fibers and all of that. I, I love it. Um, and it definitely gives me kind of like a, a rush and like excitement. Um, but I think I also feel just like very present and a lot of joy from, from that repetitive process. Um, and, um, and yeah, and I think the, I, part of what I build into that is making it, um, know part of as a as a previous coder um you want things to be efficient right like you don't want excess um you don't want to take six steps to do something that you can do in one step and so um a lot of how i approach my process is really about um efficiency but in a way that makes it easier on on me and uses fewer resources and um, takes a little bit less time without cutting any corners. Um, and so for me, what that looks like is having the exact same mordant recipe for every single one of my bases. And, and so like when I, like, I don't have a different mordant recipe for different colorways. If everything's the same and I, I do everything the same so that, and then let them just dry and then have a bunch ready to go. Um, and then where the change comes in is, and, and I did play with that at the beginning to try to get kind of the right, the right mordant recipe that I wanted, um, for my product, but then also, um, uh, the, the change then comes in with, with the dye stuff. Um, and so the percent of the weight of fiber that I'm using for, um, the different natural dye materials. Um, and then also something that, um, I did, um, pretty early on and have continued to do is um, almost every single colorway that I have, um, uh, I dip, I can also dip it in iron and get one, another colorway. So I only have, I have something around, somewhere around, I mean, eight, I think 18 different color colorways and, but 10 different dye recipes. And then of the, I just dipped, 
dip one in iron and that's like a totally new color. And that was really purposeful. It was really intentional. Um, and I worked very hard to blend the different or like, I, I, I kind of, I practiced a lot and played a lot to kind of get, get to that point, because there are a lot of dyes that don't really change a lot with iron. So you may need to mix it with something else. And the difference between 0.5% and 2% for those lighter colors is huge. And so like, you know, and not just for something like an extract, like logwood, like I'm talking about things like matter and, and kutch, if you, you dip 0.5% in iron versus 2%, um, versus 5%, those, that, that ends up with totally different colors. And so really, um, playing to get something that I like both not dipped in iron and dipped in iron and, and things that kind of look good together and, um, that I know I can have that consistency. Um, so that's been, I find it really fun, uh, it's to, to do that. R rinsing is also a big part of how I practice natural dyeing and, and, um, you know, I think a lot of people have heard, oh, there's so much rinsing involved in natural dye. And there can be, um, you know, there's a lot of water use in any dye process. Um, and it, it is definitely something that's important to consider. And, and so one of the things that I also build into my process is, okay, how can I limit the amount of rinsing that needs to happen? One, to help not use as much water uh, for the planet, for my water bill, for, you know, all of the things. <laughs> um, but also um, for my, like physically, it is very, it is the most labor intensive part. It can be one of one of the most, if not the most labor intensive parts of natural dyeing. And so um, I think about rinsing from the very beginning. I, I don't just think about it at the end when it's time to rinse. I think about, um, okay, am I mordant, mordanting properly? How, like making sure I have, my, my fibers prepared properly. And then again, thinking about using that the minimum amount of dye stuff possible to get the color I want to get um, and have as, as little left over um, as possible uh, in the dye pot, but also so that it doesn't require tons and tons of rinsing. Um, and, um, and so I, I, part of what I built into my process was how, like, how do I work on recipes and create a process that um, limits the amount of, of rinsing? And, and so I got to the point where I was able to, for some of the lighter colors, that only needs like one rinse or, and, and really what I'll do is I, I uh, in like, you know, about three gallons of water um, and I'll still rinse it like more than that. Just to, like, if I were using it, I know I could rinse it once and it would be fine. Um, but I'm also selling this product. So really just want to make sure everything's out of there. Um, and so I'll do, um, like one, um, so in a like pH neutral, um, so, um, for, for wool and whatever, and then do one, one more rinse. And so you're looking at like two, uh, maybe three, um, rinses after, after it's done. Um, for the darker colors, we're looking more at like five or six rinses in about three gallons of water, um, which again is, I, I think um, it's still, it's still work. It's still water. Um, but I, that's um, usually most of it is out before then, but that's like really try like by the third or fourth rinse, it's mostly clean, but I still kind of want to make sure everything is, is, is good. So five, six, maybe seven. 
Um, but, um, and that's to make sure that everything is out of there. And, um, you know, I've never had any issues with, um, like rubbing of, of anything of, of any of those dyes, like crocking, I think you've, I'm sure you've heard of, um, doing it that way. Um, and with the exception of indigo, which if done, even if done perfectly, you're still going to end up with some crocking. And I think, um, there's also a lot of, um, you know, rinsing involved with that. And one of the ways that I also um, help to prevent needing so much rinsing for indigo is making sure that they're finished properly. So kind of unlike the other natural dyes, indigo um, sets much better if you give it a good heat and an acid um, soak after after you do the, the dye process. And so, um, building that in so that it requires much less rinsing um, was also really important and, and, and something I had to learn um, because otherwise I just kept, I kept rinsing and rinsing and it seemed like blue just kept coming out and coming out. And I was like, okay, I need to do something different. Um, and so just researching more and figuring out what's the best way to do this. Um, and um, yeah, I, I have very, very minimal crocking as well from, from my indigo diet items. And that's, it's all very intentional. It's all making sure that like the product that gets to 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 you is uh, like high quality product that you're not seeing colors bleed into your sink. Colors don't blend together. You can do color work and it it's it looks beautiful. You can use a dark red with a light pink and nothing transfers. Um, and um, but then also for me, um, making sure that that process is. Um, is uh, easier. Dirt and dye. Um, I started dirt and dye because, um, you know, I have kind of my uh, set process and um, for the repeatable colorways and for my business. But part of what I also love about um, natural dyeing and um, it is the the play side and the learning side and the experimentation side. And part of that for me is gardening and is, um, is about growing things that you can use for, for playing with, with natural dyes. Um, and to also be able to incorporate that, you know, a lot of the same skills and, um, materials and things that you would grow a marigold are the same as a tomato. And so, bringing in kind of my past knowledge around um, some of those, those kind of backyard. I, I have worked on some farms, but I really, I, I, I think my strength is much more in the backyard gardening um, way of doing things. Um, and um, I kind of, I wanted to just share that with people because I think especially with lockdowns happening and people being more at home last year, um, I, I thought it would be a fun thing to start sharing and say, you know, even on your porch, you can grow an indigo plant or a marigold or a tomato or a pepper. Um, and, um, you know, here are some of the ways that you can do that. And then if you are growing dye flowers or plants, here are some of the ways that you can use them. Um, and so I, I wanted to kind of share, share those those pieces of natural dyeing too. Um, and there are a lot, I mean, so many wonderful natural dyers out there with really wonderful resources that are very, you know, similar and 
Um, I think that for, for me, it was a, a way to connect more with, with people and a way to um, express more about what uh, what brought me into natural dying, but also to pull more people into natural dying um, in, if that's how they approach things too. Um, and um, so it started off as like a, as a subscription. So it was like a, on my website, it was like a, a forum and um, where people could chat with each other um, and a blog and um, and things like that. And that worked out well for a while, but I do think that, you know, we have a lot of, of places where we communicate with people and that we have a lot of places where, um, you know, we have groups and chats and that's, you know, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or, you know, uh, it, it's a lot to have that social interaction. And I think I, I decided it was best for Dirt and Die to pull, pull away from from that side as much also because I'm just one person and I think and I'm also an introvert <laughs> and it was it was uh is becoming a lot for me and so I think um what ended up being a better way to approach dirt and die was um to share to share some things more on on Instagram um or through my newsletter um but then to find ways that could I could connect with people people could connect with each other over natural dyes um slightly in a slightly and gardening in a slightly different way and so um I actually had to I moved my website over to a new platform um to make it easier for my business and at the same time transition to dirt and dye being um uh illustrated how-to guides and so for for what that looked like was months and months of preparation and kind of taking a lot of the things that had gone into the initial dirt and dye concept and um, turning it into something that that could be a printable PDF or an ebook at some point, or um, and and kind of incorporating that learning into because I love sharing about this process, and that's how I learned was from other people sharing was from books and and um, and other natural dyers online who shared resources, um, and some of them were free and some of them were paid, and so so I think like having that plethora of resources helped me learn a lot. And I, I wanted to share that too. And I love seeing more and more people learn, learn to naturally die um, just for fun or um, starting their own businesses or, you know, it's so fun to see all the different ways that people approach it. Um, and whether that's through their garden or through knitting um, or through baby clothes or through, you know, like whatever it is that like gets them into it. Um, and then, you know, connects us all, I think is, is, is really fun. So, um, and I think one of the things I love most about, um, the dirt and dye leaflets. So the actual kind of downloads themselves, um, is that when I, when I started naturally dying and even kind of, as I was learning, I realized that there aren't, it, it, there was kind of a gap in terms of, okay, but how do I do this from beginning to end? Um, and there are a lot of blog posts, but I don't learn very well from blog posts. A lot of blog posts have a lot of other information in them, kind of like recipe blogs where it's like, you know, you're also kind of talking about your life or the things that happened that day or and so I, something I wanted to do is make it like really clear and like really step-by-step. And um, I had a local artist um, from Nashville 
also illustrate, hand illustrate each of the steps. And so, because I think visuals can be really important and not everybody uses exactly the same tools. And I think if you see a picture, sometimes you can get this idea of like, oh, okay, it needs to be exactly this way. Um, and so I think by having illustrations, it was a way to provide that visual um, without saying this is exactly what it needs to look like or this is exactly what it needs to be. And so having that visual along with each individual step um, was important. Um, and um, I think that, that's probably my favorite part of, of them is the, the hand-drawn illustrations and um, uh, tying that in with the, the process. And um, yeah, I've had a lot of fun sharing it and a lot of fun seeing people start to use them um, and in concert with all these other resources, right? Like this is not the only way to do it. This is like, this is one way that I find approachable that I hope you will also find approachable to get into it. And, um, or if you've already done some, you can try it this way too, to expand um, your, your knowledge. And, um, and I think that that's also really important with natural dyeing is there are a lot of ways to do it. And there are a lot of ways to, um, to practice. And, um, and I think that um, it's, it's fun to share one of those ways, but it's definitely not the only way. Um, and I, and I love to also read other natural dye, like blogs and resources and, and things like that. So it's, it's fun. So are there any resources you particularly love? The book Science and Natural uh, Art and Science of Natural Dyes is really where I, I start for a lot of things. Um, but I think that my, I, I also use a lot of, um, or have tried some of the resources from Maiwa. <laughs> Maiwa. Um, yeah, so the Art and Science of Natural Dyes is where I start. Um, the Art and Science of Natural Dyes is where I start for a lot of things, but um, Maywa um, Dyes, uh, they have a really great new website um, that's just dedicated to natural dyes um, in terms of um, like the knowledge and resources that I think is, is good. Um, and then um, uh, botanical colors. Um, their feedback Fridays are incredible. Um, I think that that is one of the best best blogs and resources out there for um, people who are trying to troubleshoot something or um, try something new. You know, I think that um, just really wonderful, clear resources and like a lot of questions that may come up and. Um, if you don't have a bunch of natural dyers around you, you just would never, it, it's really hard to find a lot of that information. And I think that they do a really good job of sharing it. Um, and I'm, yeah, I learned a lot from them. Would you like to talk about your vision for the future? Yeah. Um, I've thought a lot about this over the years. And I think that how I envision Mo Fiber is, and my practice keeps changing um, constantly. And um, I'm okay with that. I think that part of, I, I think that, um, I, you know, I, my business has only just gotten to the point where it is sustainable. And that, that took a lot of time and money and, and work and um, 
and I didn't know if I would get here. And so I think it's, for, for me, I feel accomplished and, and grateful that I, I could get to a point where I'm like, okay, I can see this as a sustainable, um, a, a sustainable working business and job for myself. Um, and what that looks like in the future, I, I don't know yet. And I think I have ideas. Um, you know, it's it's hard to say exactly what that looks like. I think um, I've thought about, oh, do I want, like, w- wouldn't it be amazing to have like a studio or some kind of shop or, you know, but that, that brings on a lot of other things that kind of take away a lot of the freedom and, um, uh, of of part of why I do this, which is for my my mental health and for um, the you know it's not always easy. This is not this, I'm not not to paint it and you know or to give it rose colored glasses or whatever. I you know I I definitely have had some really hard times and times if I wondered if I should keep going and um you know I even had to kind of put some things on pause during the pandemic because I did take on consulting work um, back in epidemiology because that's my skills were helpful then and I was not able to show people my yarn or business as easily um, and so it you know there there have been setbacks there have been changes there have been uh, but I think that that time back in consulting also confirmed to me this is what I want to be doing. Um, I really want to be working on low fibers and I really want to continue to work with natural dyes and continue to learn because I think I just still have so much to learn. And I love the teaching aspect. I love the learning aspect of it. Um, and I want to share that more with people. Um, and I think um, maybe one of the things that would be built in is more like workshops or teaching or partnering with other people to to do those sorts of things. Um and um, while still maintaining that kind of um, freedom that I have of working for myself. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens, but, um, but I feel excited for, for what might happen and um, grateful to be in the place that I'm in and to have learned from, from so many others and to be able to also share that with others in the future um, and keep knitting and keep sharing naturally dyed yarn with people. I think um, one of the things that I did very intentionally um, from the beginning was, you know, m- most naturally dyed yarn is not superwash. And, um, you know, a lot of that has to do with the sustainability or eco-friendliness side of things, which, um, is something that's important to me, but it's not kind of one of the core, the the core values of my business are much more around having things be within reach or, um, and, and, and I think that, um, you know, having things be approachable. And I think that a lot of knitters don't use non-super wash. And so to be able to introduce them to natural dyes with a super wash yarn, um, is something that I get a lot of joy from, um, and that I think is, um, important. And, um, and so having, you know, both, I have half of my bases are non-superwash and half of them are, are superwash to kind of, um, to help, help expand that, you know, my, I wanted my, the first people that I interacted with and that started buying from me to be, you know, maybe this is their first or second naturally dyed 
yarn or anything purchase. Um, but that's only because there was a superwash option. And so um, being that, like having that option and, um, you know, I, I would love to have like a, a locally sourced um, line or base or, or fiber of some sort. Like I would love to be able to expand into that, but definitely from the beginning, um, I think it was important for me to be realistic about, okay, how do I make this business sustainable? How can I introduce this to more people? And how can I share it in a way that like um, is fun and approachable? This episode of the Natural Dye Podcast has been produced by myself, Kelsey Doty, and my co-producer, Britt Bowles. Our theme song, Tinctoria, is by Liz Galorn and her band. Please make sure to support them on Bandcamp. We hope you can join us again next time, and thank you for listening to the Natural Dye Podcast. <laughs>